The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. Hi, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garen Perro columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers podcast. We've got an interesting one today in the rare earth space, Ionic Rare Earths, trades under the code IXR. Last sale was six cents for a market cap of 205 million. Now, Ionic's main project, well, key project, flagship project, for want of a better word, is Makutu uh, in Uganda, not far from the capital there. It's a big resource. Apart from it being a big resource, it's, it's, it's the springboard for Ionic to pursue an integrated model right through uh, with the latest deal that takes it right down into a recycling of permanent magnets. So an interesting story in a space that uh, has increasingly uh, getting the attention of people around the world, uh, particularly governments concerned about supply of uh, rare earths, uh, given China's uh, uh, grip on the industry. So with that, I'm going to introduce Tim Harrison, the MD of Ionic. Welcome to the podcast, Tim. Thanks for your time today. Thanks, Barry. Thanks for having me. Now, Tim, um, Makutu, it all uh, starts with Makutu, a big adsorption clay project you've got there in um, Uganda. Uh, You've been doing a a hell of a lot of drilling in recent times. You put out a scoping study last year. What's, uh, What's the latest there? Yeah, thanks, Barry. So we um, went back into the field in the second half of last year. We we completed the, the phase four drill program, which was about 8,200 metres of uh, shallow drilling. I think it's um, um, over sort of about 400 and something odd holes. We are getting the assays back at the moment. We've got five, five of the six tranches of assays back. We're waiting on the, the sixth tranche. You know, a lot of that drilling has been uh, targeted at increasing the resource confidence at Makutu and, and moving more of the resource to a measured and indicated classification. And we've also done some sort of extensional drilling to, to uh, you know, where we've, we've identified an opportunity to grow the resource. Uh, we've done some more drilling there. So, so yeah, we'll um, get those assay, back, assay results back soon and then um, work through what we think is going to be a significant increase in confidence and quantum um, of the resource at Makutu. Uh, that then provides us with a, a great sort of foundation for us to, to finalise a feasibility study later this year and, and march towards a, a mining licence application. So I think uh, you've flagged to the market there will be a resource upgrade in the second quarter, which is where we are now, I guess. Yeah, look, uh, we'll, we'll hopefully get those, those that last tranche or last set of assay results back over the next fortnight. Once we've got all the data back um, into the resource update and, yeah, looking at getting that resource out, you know, over the next couple of months and that then will effectively then provide, yeah, the foundation for the feasibility study, which is in full swing at the moment. We've got engineering underway at the moment. We've got a lot of activity on the ground happening in Uganda. Um, The environmental and social impact assessment was submitted in December last year. We're slowly getting feedback uh, from stakeholders. We've got a resettlement action plan underway also in Uganda. Um, We're basically working through our checklist 
uh, of all the requirements that are that'll be required for the mining license application. So, yeah, it is a real hive of activity underway uh, here in Australia, but you know, a substantial amount of work um, in progress uh, in Uganda. Yeah, I think. Uh most follow, followers of the company would know that the, the resource is big. Uh, I think the scoping study last year talked about 11 years and uh, potentially 27 years. So it's not particularly a resource constrained, but I think it would be good at this point just to remind investors what what is it about these ionic clay deposits that um, you know, when we talk about the grade distribution and the uh, low capex hurdles and that make them uh, as attractive as they are and remembering, of course, that uh, those southern China uh, deposits uh, command such a big part of the current market. That's right. So, um, you know, the advantages of the ionic absorption clays, typically they are low capital relative to the hard rock projects. Um, They don't require anywhere near the metallurgical processing in order to produce a value-added intermediate product. Um, they don't have any of the, the issues that, that plague some of the hard rock projects with radionuclides. Um, so you're able to effectively, for a much lower capital threshold, produce a value-added high-value basket, um, which has a, a higher proportion of, of medium and heavy rare earths. And, and that's really the, the medium and heavy rare earths are the ones that are in increasingly more demand because there, there simply isn't the supply that exists outside of um, southern China and, and Myanmar. And so the, the opportunity with the ionic absorption clays, and we've se- certainly seen a lot of, um, you know, companies move into this space over the course of the last two years, sort of following on from, from the work that ionic has done. Um, you know, everyone seems to be finding these ionic absorption clays. Uh, but, you know, what you really need is you need big thick clay zones um, and you need to have good metallurgy. And, um, you know, that's what we've got in spades at, uh, at Makutu. Um, you know, we've got that 315 million tonne resource as it stands today. We've got exploration ground out to the east. We've done some um, phase three rab drilling last year, which indicated, you know, substantial potential out to the east. Um, and as part of that program, we also identified potential to the northwest. So we, we applied for a new, a new license and We've now got about 300 square kilometres of tenements in Uganda. Um, the current resource stretches across 27 kilometres of that 37 kilometre mineralisation trend. So we're, we're, you know, we've certainly got enough for us to, to base the feasibility study on now. Um, but going forward, you know, substantial upside um, on, on the potential for it to be a... Um, you know, multi-decade producer of uh, magnet and heavy rare earths, which I think the world is going to need increasingly more uh, supply in order to drive a lot of these net zero carbon um, ambitions. Just going to the strategic importance of the uh, Makutu in the, the scheme of things, I, I noticed on the website uh, a presentation uh, posted, uh, which was to the European Raw Material Alliance, moving in important and influential circles there. Uh, Tell us about that. Yeah, so um, Ionic is a member of of IRMA. Um, We're a member of the Rare Earth Industry Association. And as part of um, our engagement with potential strategic partners, obviously, you know, numerous groups in in Europe interested in security of supply of, of magnet and heavy rare earths. In addition to that, obviously, 
beyond beyond Europe, we've also been doing a little bit of work around the US and and looking at opportunities to develop rare earth supply into the US uh, to potentially work with uh, partners there and, and government um, government groups who are interested in in building alternative supply chains that are secure and traceable into manufacturing. So, you know, beyond Europe, you know, Europe and the US are obviously two areas where there's substantial amounts of of manufacturing and, you know, let's say, for example, the EV market. Um, the EV market, I don't think, you know, I think we, we, we appreciate it's going to be big. Um, having spent a couple of weeks over in the UK and, and then a week over in the US uh, back in February, um, it blows my mind the amount of investment that is being made in in those areas. Um, certainly through you know numerous US states, the amount of, of of capital that's being deployed in moving their their manufacturing to to EVs is is absolutely phenomenal. And um, and I don't think we really appreciate just how big the demand is going to be. Uh, in that in that presentation, I noticed there was a. a an updated uh, basket uh, prices, uh, 90, I think it was uh, US 96.35 a, ki- a kilogram, um, which goes to the point I think uh, a lot of people say, oh, but Hard Rock, Mount Weld, Linus Corp is off the scale in terms of grade, but um, it doesn't necessarily translate into a, bas- a decent basket price, does it? No, that's right. It, it really comes back to understanding of the, the individual elemental components that make up your basket. You know, and to give some context around basket pricing, I mean, since the end of October, we've seen a, a you know in excess of fifty percent appreciation in our basket value, um, and that's driven by magnet rare earths and heavy rare earths. Um, I think on on the latest numbers, we're probably looking at a basket value that's now sort of in excess of sort of one hundred and six dollars a kilo. Um, so you know keeping the finger on the pulse of what's happening uh, with rare earth pricing, it's, it's continuing to trend in, in a direction that means that the, the margin on, on a mixed rare earth carbonate produced from Makutu certainly is pulling away from a lot of our peers. And, um, you know, with the low capital threshold to develop Makutu and to be able to develop it in a modular fashion, we are able to, to generate appreciable amounts of free cash flow that then can fund um, expansion at Makutu and, and being a high value basket, a lot of upside for the company in going further in the value chain um, and looking at refining our mixed rare earth carbonate, separating it into the individual rare earths and then being able to, to play a key role in, uh, in working with end users in you know, renewable applications such as offshore wind or EVs, um, substantial amounts of defence applications that, that really are dependent on uh, secure supplies of heavy rare earths. So we're really in a good spot going forward and um, certainly there's a lot of work uh, in progress at the moment. Talking about, uh, I mentioned earlier, the integrated model you're pursuing and you've taken it to the nth degree with this uh, uh, deal announced in uh, 8th of December uh, to acquire Seren Technologies, that's S-E-R-E-N, who've got a... uh, uh, technology out of uh, Belfast, uh, Queen's University in Belfast, ionic liquid technology for refining and separation of rare earth elements. Um, obviously uh, an interesting one. Tell us about that. Yeah, so um, Seren have been working on, on a technology that, that was um, 
first patented with um, Queen's University Belfast. Um, so over the last five years, they've been looking at improving upon um, those base patents. Um, they've developed uh, or enhanced that that technology um, to be not only applied for just uh, heavy rare earth separation, but also the ability to move quite quickly in a uh, chemical extraction process and separation and processing of, mag- of spent magnets and waste magnets. Um, and that really does present us with a, a great opportunity to leverage off this step change in technology, the ability to process magnets of varying quality. So one of the, you know, there, there are a number of other technologies that exist in magnet recycling today. However, they are dependent on ensuring that they have a very steady composition of feed. Um, one of the advantages for, um, for the technology that's been developed by Seren is that it can take varying compositions and varying, uh, varying feed compositions and be very effective in extracting the rare earth elements into the individual um, separated refined products that we can then produce the oxides and work with partners um, in making new magnets, higher performance, higher temperature application magnets, which are really the, the areas that, that are going to see a lot of growth going forward. You know, the applications where you're looking at operating in high temperature environments, such as offshore wind turbines, they require increased proportions of dysprosium and terbium. And uh, the ability to, to utilise our technology and leverage that technology into partnerships with OEMs uh, on magnet recycling really puts us in a great position to, to be a key player in, in magnet recycling, which I expect and I think, you know, a number of other industry um, observers have, have sort of commented the potential for it to be up to 25% of the rare earth supply chain by the end of the decade. So, um, you know, I mean, the benefit there is that we are able to basically reprocess the spent material that's existing in quantities and stockpiled uh, in various locations globally now to be able to then turn those waste products from, you know, stockpiles into new supplies of magnet rare earths. And these are the high-value magnet rare earths, you know, your neodymium, praseodymium, uh, dysprosium and terbium. This is the supply that the world really needs. So it, it, it is to some degree it's low-hanging fruit. Um, we can do it with a, a, a really or the, the work that Seren has done indicates that potentially it's quite a modest sort of capital requirement um, with good margin. And, um, you know, we're working through the DD now um, and once we finalise all the DD and we're able to then go out to the market, we'll provide some details on, on what that potentially looks like. You mentioned a chemical process. Are you able to take us into the black box at all? Is it solvent extraction or...? It's a variant of. Um, so, I mean, ionic liquids, um, you know, it's a chemical separation, um, you know, very similar to, to solvent extraction in that we're able to, you know, using mixer settlers extract the rare earths from the, um, well, first off, the, the magnets are, uh, are solubilised, um, the rare earths are put into solution. They then go through a process where the, the ionic liquid is able to, um, or it's effectively a ligand that bonds with the, the target rare earth that we're trying to extract. And we then work through a number of stages in a countercurrent process which are able to um, load and strip the rare earths into uh, various products and various streams that we can then simply precipitate to a, a high purity oxide. 
So, um, you know, it's, it's a, a technology that's used or, a, you know, unit operations that are used widely now. Um, it's really trying to optimise the chemistry and the functional groups to give us the most efficient path to recycling spent material into high purity rare earths that can then go into the new industry and new applications that the world's going to want in, in greater demand um, over the next few decades. Now, you lost me at the second step there in the, <laughs> in the process, but just uh, give us a feel for your excitement level around this technology. Oh, I, I think that this is a, a, a great opportunity for Ionic. Um, this provides a, another string to our bow, um, which enables us to really work on supply chains, and, and it's really been a focus for us in helping to, to better integrate with um, you know, strategic partners and, and that, that could very well include OEMs on, on supply chain and working with, with life cycle and, and um, life cycle participation um, with OEMs on, um, on rare earths. So it's something that potentially enables the company to, to look beyond just, a, you know, a 30-year or 50-year life of mine at Makutu um, into something much more, um, uh, well, a, a, a much longer proposition and a proposition that we could look at modularising um, on the magnet recycling globally. Um, you know, as the more magnets are produced, um, it's only logical that more magnets will need to be recycled. So um, we're really sort of looking at positioning ourselves to be um, one of the early movers in this space with a technology that, that's, yeah, got, got huge upside and, and um, from a chemical perspective, you know, leading the pack. We're talking about an African location, which is an issue for some investors uh, on the ASX. There's been uh, some, well, disturbing things in West Africa, but there's nothing new in that. I was just wondering what's life in uh, downtown Kampala like and uh, how's Uganda going generally? Yeah, look, we've, um, we've had a lot of support in Uganda. Um, we've been able to move at a very quick sp- uh, speed to, to, to advance Makutu towards a, a mining licence later this year. Um, we've had really good engagement with stakeholders who are very supportive on building the, the, the mine and, and building industry and building a mining industry in Uganda. So to date, our experience has been very, very positive. Um, I don't foresee that changing. I think we've got really good alignment um, from both the investment perspective, but also you know all the various stakeholders within the Ugandan government, Ugandan um, DGSM. Um, from an environmental perspective, you know we are working um, in collaboration with, with a number of the Ugandan government departments to make sure we're doing the right work at the right time to position this so that we can very rapidly work towards um, the mining licence application and and trying to get Makutu into production as soon as feasibly possible. Um, That being said, we're also doing a lot of work around looking at the the full supply chain. Um, And, you know, one of the challenges with a lot of mines in the rare earth space globally is that, yeah, you can go and build a mine, you can go and produce a, a rare earth product or a rare earth oxide or a carbonate, but you really have to understand where that product is going and who's the buyer. You know, ultimately, the product has to end up in components uh, that will be fabricated by OEMs. So 
there's a huge amount of inf infrastructure that really needs to be built um, globally to accelerate this. And, um, you know, the work that we've been doing at Makutu in understanding where this project sits relative to everything else, it's really highlighted the massive opportunity for us in looking downstream because it's a basket of, of significant value and it's a basket of rare earth elements that really don't exist in substantial um, inventories elsewhere globally. So we're, we're in a really strong position, um, but we do have to look further afield in how we're going to develop Makutu and how do we build and how do we play a role in, in new supply chains that we'll be building and will be forming over the course of the next few years. Mm, which I guess brings us around to the strategic partnership uh, possibility. That's right. I think you really need to, to align yourself with one or two, um, you know, strategic sponsors. You know, there, there's um, an opportunity for us. We have a basket that has a substantial application in EVs and offshore wind. It's an, it's an immediate application. Um, but then from a defence perspective and a military application, you know, 33% of our baskets is, is magnet rare earths that can go straight into the, into the, into the magnets required for EV motors and, and motors and, and generators required for offshore wind turbine. On top of that, we've got 40% heavy rare earths, which is substantially higher than certainly many of our peers on the ASX, um, which has very niche applications in key communications and, and, and defence applications. So we have a, a, an opportunity to work closely with a number of stakeholders across, you know, the, the move towards EVs, the move towards renewable energy and offshore wind, defence, communications. Um, so there are really a lot of stakeholders that we're, we're engaging with now because, um, you know, we, we do have such a, a, a high-value basket with so many potential applications. Um, we really have to start to look holistically at, at what's the best fit for this project and the supply chain that we want to participate in. No, interesting stuff, Tim. Um, obviously, we've got a fast, uh, a very fast developing uh, development story here uh, in a strategic industry that uh, the world wants to uh, see come along as uh, soon as possible. And a very interesting move there with the into the Serum Technologies uh, uh, patented uh, way of uh, processing and separating the elements. So all in all, uh, a great update. So we thanks for your time today and good luck with it all. Thank you, Barry.